This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast with Alex Milsom and Shivani Dave. Hello, I'm Alex Milsom. And I'm Shivani Dave. And this is the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Welcome back. Hello. Are you glad to be back outside of your bedroom and in real life? Yes, it's very weird. Some things that are good are that... My sense of smell has not fully recovered, so as I took the tube today, I didn't have to smell the tube. Oh, that's quite a treat, actually. And what about the sense of taste? Mm, that's coming back slightly. I can taste some things, but still not got that full palate there. That's what I really want to come back, because what's the point in having a nice dinner made for you if you don't get to enjoy all the flavours? That's why I just stick with the rule of just cooking the most basic thing I possibly can. That's why I'm a really bad chef, but also be great if i did get covid just be like i I can't taste the difference my food is already bland (laughs) alex you need to come around i'll give you some cooking lessons oh thank you so much um a very important question for you is what was the first thing you did when you were free i really didn't think it through i went to the cinema i was like i've been cooped up all day for 10 days and i went to the cinema and cooped yourself up for two and a bit hours (laughs) yeah two and a bit hours watching the house of gucci which is definitely worth going to see. So camp, so fun. And from a time period that we're talking about today. Of course, we are talking about World AIDS Day. This Wednesday was World AIDS Day and you may have seen people sporting red ribbons in order to mark the occasion. I've got one on right now. In fact, if you're interested in the history of the red ribbon as a symbol for the fight against HIV, check out the piece we've written on the Virgin Radio website. Last week, we looked back at the early stages of the HIV crisis in the 1980s, and we heard from many people who were alive at the time about what that period in time was like. And this week, we're going to be looking forward to the medical advancements which have been made since the 80s, to the societal attitudes and the stigma still present. We're also going to be looking at some of the charities and individuals still fighting for the cause. And speaking of advances in medicine, we've even seen advancements being made as recently as this week. On Wednesday, it was announced that people who have tested positive for HIV would be allowed to enlist in the British Army. And earlier this month, the NHS in England approved a long-acting injection for HIV, which means that the need for daily oral treatment will be reduced for some people to just six treatments a year. It's just nice to see actual development being put forward towards... I mean, we, we were looking at the societal attitudes 40 years ago, you know, people being treated as others, people being treated as outsiders, and here we are today actual medical investment going in towards the lives of queer people who are HIV positive. What a distant time the 40 years ago must feel like in comparison to social attitudes. Yeah, obviously like an HIV diagnosis now um, isn't what it used to be. You can live long, healthy, happy lives Mm -hmm. with the right medical treatment and the advances that keep coming and hopefully will keep coming in the future are only going to to help us in this like battle against this horrible virus. A little later on in the show, you're going to meet someone who is and has been at the forefront of pushing for this medical treatment. We're going to be chatting to Mark Thompson, who's one of the original founders of Prepster. First, though, let's go back to where we left off last week, to the midst of the crisis, when organisations like ACT UP or the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power were being formed. Have a listen to Tony Openshaw from ACT UP 
who was talking to Virgin Radio Pride's Emma Goswell about a rather unconventional way the organisation promoted sexual health in prisons. And then soon after that, HIV became an issue. Mm. And I got very much involved with ACT UP, which was uh, AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, which was an organisation started in America, spread out all over the world. And we had a, a group in Manchester. And what sort of protests did you do? Because they were famous for doing some quite radical things, weren't they? We did. It was non-direct, uh, I'm sorry, non-violent <laughs> direct action. Mm. And, and um, one of the famous things we did was to um, go to Strange Ways Prison, they're called HMP Manchester. Yeah. And uh, we got tennis rackets and we got tennis balls and we split the tennis balls and we put condoms inside and we batted them over the wall into strange ways. And, oh, wow. um... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and then um, we we were on television about it and, and the Manchester Evening News. I'm sure it's still available on the internet somewhere. Yeah. Did you get into trouble for that then? No, we didn't. But I'm sure the prison guards probably trouble. thought you were trying to get drugs in, weren't, didn't they? And then as soon well, as they opened them and thought, oh, well, they're just sending condoms, that's fine. So we were bouncing tennis balls over the wall, over the wall with condoms inside. Uh, we contacted the social workers inside. Uh, later on, a couple of weeks later on, we had a meeting. We explained our concerns about why condoms should be available in prisons, mm-hmm. you know, because people may be having unprotected sex, people may be sharing drugs. You know, I mean, I know it may be illicit, but these things do happen. You've got to accept the facts. Exactly. So um, they changed the policy and condoms Mm -hmm. became available. So that was a great success. I think that's absolutely great. It's amazing, isn't it, that this sort of protest or non, uh, what was it, non-violent direct action has managed to completely change at that time. And that was a time when, you know, people weren't really willing to listen to issues about HIV, but somehow Tony and the ACT UP team were able to convince them that they needed to change their policy, and that non-violent direct action led to condoms being openly available in prisons. That is amazing. Yeah, like real change. It sounds like a ridiculous idea to be knocking tennis balls full of condoms over the prison fences, but (laughs) it's like a complete... like. Where in that meeting did they get that idea when they were like, let's let this, this is what we're going to do? But yeah. it led to real direct change. And it led to people talking about HIV in prisons and just people talking about HIV. You know, you mentioned being interviewed for the news and being in the Manchester Evening News and all of that sort of, uh, all of these actions built awareness of the fact that. Actually, it wasn't something to be ashamed of. You're not really going to get it from other sources. It's mainly unprotected sex that was the biggest transmitter at the time. I just think it's a really nice to see HIV being brought up the agenda and people actually taking prisoners' health seriously. Yeah, I think that's one of the really key areas as well because I think when healthcare is considered, so much of healthcare is talked about as wider society but prisons at the time were a real sort of space where HIV was out of control because nobody was a paying much attention to HIV and and the impacts of it or prisoners themselves because they're sort of separated from society in that way and organizations like ACT UP made an enormous difference to the fight against HIV and they still continue to do so but 
the sense of stigma which George told us about last week hasn't gone away. We heard from Gareth Thomas and H from Steps last week on the influence of Princess Diana at the time. But have a listen to what they had to say about whether stigma against HIV sufferers has reduced since then. The question is, do you think there is less of a stigma around HIV in today's society? Ooh, so less of a stigma. I think because we don't see the obvious forms of discrimination now we saw in It's a Sin or that were around in the 80s. When we were kids? Yeah, we? yeah. You know, Those adverts? Yeah, where the, the, yeah the, the tombstone adverts, so oh. all of that. And like, so well, I, I think, think we are still, we are still living in a stigmatised society. It's just not as obvious as when it was in the 80s. Like I, I sat down with you and told you, I, one, of, one of the first people, I, you, you're one of the first people I told because I knew that like, you knew about it. So I knew that I would have somebody who I could talk to who wouldn't judge me, who wouldn't be afraid to sit in the same room with me, or But now you have enabled me to be open and champion the cause so you know recently i did my hiv test publicly yeah. you know and i put it on my socials just to break down those stigmas yeah. and those walls just to sh tell everybody you know what the best thing to do is get tested yeah because you should know your status yeah i've dated hiv positive people before yeah. and it's nothing to me you know it yeah. doesn't mean anything you know you're just a person living with a manageable yeah. disease yeah. and it's not the death sentence that it was when we were kids. No. You know, we've moved on so, so much. Yeah. It's incredible, right? Yeah, but so many people haven't moved on. Like, so many people still still assume, like, you know, you could have a woman living with HIV, can have a baby, and that baby would be HIV negative. Yep. But people are just like, nah, shut up. Mm -hmm. You're just telling me that because you're living with HIV and you want me to be okay with it. You know, or for me to say to someone like, you know, I have an active sex life with my husband and he's HIV negative and I know that there's no chance. Pass it on. As long as I take my medication, which is one tablet a day, I know there's no chance of me transmitting HIV to my sexual partner. And that makes me feel okay. But more importantly, living in all this, I've seen Of course. I've seen family. I find it interesting hearing about those public information campaigns that kind of existed around there, you know, tombstones and uh, these big campaigns that ultimately they were trying to raise awareness of it, but they also coincidentally contributed to the stigma. For sure. There was so much fear that those adverts were, I guess, trying to translate and... Looking back on it now with the benefit of hindsight, it wasn't the right call. I mean, mm. I, I remember seeing those adverts and there's a line that stands out which is so imprinted in my mind, which is like this deep bellowing voice and it goes like, don't die of ignorance, don't die of AIDS. And like... <sighs> Then, you know, the word ignorance kept coming up over and over again in lots of art and activism around AIDS and HIV. But the way that message was communicated ultimately propagated some of the myths. Oh, yeah. And also propagated rather than giving actual genuine medical information that people can act on. You know, H was talking about how, you know, he considered himself clued up on all those bits of information about HIV and actually understood 
you know, that you could be sat next to someone and it wasn't transmitted from being in the same room as them and, and all of that. And it's just, it's so interesting how actually not being ignorant in this case, knowing the medical information, knowing what is and isn't dangerous, what is and isn't likely to result in a transmission, actually just meant that he wasn't just more knowledgeable, but he was also more accessible for people to talk to him about HIV. Yeah. For sure. I think what was really interesting in what Gareth said as well was about how stigma was not as obvious. Mm. It's interesting how the stigma has kind of gone from, you know, big bellowing voices, as you mentioned there, that said, don't die of ignorance. Now it's sort of, uh, you know, not as obvious the subtle ways that people are still getting it wrong. I mean, I've, 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 I, I, honestly, I, I probably have made mistakes in, in my understanding of HIV, and I'm not afraid to admit it. But I'm really lucky that I'm surrounded by people who, you know, are willing to give information. And even though you might mock those, uh, like uh, those infographics that appear on Instagram, it's actually really nice to see my friends who aren't HIV positive and are willing to share that information because all of a sudden it's no longer this disgusting thing to talk about, which it was, you know, like built up at the time. It's now a thing people can talk about and be open about. Yeah, and I think what you touch on there, like not necessarily knowing everything about HIV, like that's not on you. That's not on anyone. But like the thing we can do now is sort of say... I know that this is a thing and I know that I'm not that aware. So maybe like schooling ourselves on, on these kinds of issues is is what's important. Mm-hmm. So we can have those conversations with our friends and with our family and have those kind of one-on-one back and forths that can sort of spread the message and education that way. Because yeah. obviously, you know, we always talk about schools. Should schools be the place to you know, part this information, should schools be doing more? And while, yes, I think they should be doing more, I think at the age when you learn about STIs in school, it's just treated as such a taboo and such a sort of ridiculed topic when you're that age at 14 that now it's, I think, really important for people our age to sort of look back and say, oh, yeah, I do remember laughing at the joke that was made in the other side of the classroom when the teacher was actually trying to teach us something really important. So I'm going to make an effort to go and learn what I should have learned then. Oh my, it just makes me throw back to putting condom on the carrot and some teacher would be there like, oh my goodness, I have done STD education. All the kids are safe now. I've taught them how to put a condom on a carrot, but it's so much more complex than that. Also, H was talking about doing his HIV test publicly and, you know, not being afraid to talk about that and not being afraid to show people because the stigma previously was, oh, Oh, you need to do you need to do a test. Oh, what does that say about you? Last year, around it's a sin time, I requested a HIV testing kit. Not that I'd been active in any way, shape, or form during the pandemic, because I'm not sure many people were. But I was really proud to actually stick on Twitter and stick on Instagram. The little, um, you know, the small plaster they give you in the kit. Yeah. Me holding up my middle finger. Actually, no, it's the wrong finger. I remember this because people took the mick out of me, being like, "Oh, do you not the right finger?" And there were a few people who replied or like direct messaged me and said, oh, they used the word slut or like things like that. I'm like, no, no, no. It's just about knowing your status. There's nothing unsexy or, or, or sluttish about knowing your status. It's just a common thing that you should just know and you should be able to say with confidence 
when your last ass was and you should just be able to know. Yeah, for sure. I think that's so good as well. Like, you know, to to do that and to have that conversation with somebody when they're coming to you with an ignorant sort of statement and calling you a slut or whatever, yeah. it's so important to just be like, well, actually maybe I'm a, like the smart one like you can call me a slut if you want but I'm actually doing the intelligent thing here um which I think is really good and and the thing is is like during the pandemic as you were saying you did your test during the pandemic it's such a good time for people to have to have tested themselves because it's so easy you can do it at home and also um HIV testing is the kind of thing that you need to do fairly regularly depending on your sexual partners and the kind of sex that you're having because Mm -hmm. it takes a while for the virus to build up in the blood so that it's detectable so you might have like an instance um where you actually are exposed to hiv but you're not actually going to know that until three months down the line so if you do an hiv test you know one month after that exposure you're actually not going to pick it up for another two months so regular testing knowing your status is actually the important thing to do. And, you know, medical advancements, particularly modern antiretrovirals, have also meant that people living with HIV are able to live long, healthy lives. And as long as they're on regular treatment, they're not able to pass on the virus. This is a clip from Alex, strong name, I must say, from the organisation Youth Stop AIDS, who chatted to Emma Goswell on her weekend outing on Virgin Radio Pride about the treatments available in this country. We've got an effective treatment to stop people from, you know, progressing onto late stage HIV in the UK, that is. And we have we have it globally, but there's been some there's still a lot of adoption challenges around the world. But um yeah, in, in the UK, generally speaking, from a physical perspective, we, we now have a, a treat straight away directive from the NHS. So is, So as soon as you got diagnosed, you were given the right medical treatments yeah, and you yeah. were given the right drugs that you needed. Yeah. Um, which we didn't used to have uh, before. They, they used to be, well, we'll wait until they start getting ill, and then we'll give you the medication. Whereas now, because they know how effective it is once you go on medication, everyone, the moment you're diagnosed, uh, you're recommended to go on treatment. Obviously, it's your choice, but 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 generally speaking, that's what happens. But where the situations in which a lot of the the age-related deaths we still have within the UK are generally around stigma. So, for example, um, a story from one of my uh, Youth Stop AIDS colleagues um, around her community in London. She's Ghanaian. And there was a lady in her church um, who was too scared to get tested for HIV because there's so much stigma around it in certain communities. Um, And and therefore, she was untreated and she ended up dying uh, of an AIDS-related illness uh, because she was too scared to go and get tested and then treated. uh, And she could have lived lived a long and healthy life. I think it's so good that we've got those treatments available, but... It comes back to the stigma that we were just talking about where, you know, Alex is talking about a person who had they not felt that level of stigma about themselves, they would be alive today living a healthy, I'm going to use big air quotes around this word, normal life, whose life is normal. But they would still be here if that stigma didn't exist. And that is quite frustrating. It's it's so It's so hard. Really positive on one side but also the negativity of that is someone who, because of stigma, isn't here with us today. Yeah, I really like to think that the stigma is is shifting and that our generation and the generation after us are going to be so much more open and so much more just comfortable to talk about these issues and to just know their status and, and discuss it with their friends as though it's... a 
part of life because that is exactly what it is. And supporting each other around things like HIV can, well, it really is the only way that we can get through it. You know, in the 80s and the 90s, when the crisis was really taking a hold in the gay community, one of the main factors that drove the community through that period of time, that really dark period of time, was the fact that there was support around Mm. the people who were going through this horrible thing. And the stigma that continues today is just meaning that we, we're resisting this ability to actually drive forward and affect real change. Of course. I think also Mark Thompson, who we're going to talk to later, will have lots of really interesting things to say about this because he's been an HIV activist for a very long time. <laughs> so I'm sure he's going to have lots of great input on what we can do about stigma within community. Just as a, a personal sort of anecdote, going back, I started uni probably five years ago and I was on Grindr in uni because I was just finding myself. Who isn't? <laughs> I, I quite like it that this studio, you know, we're, we've got a lovely view of London from the studio, but it's our safe space where we can just talk about that sort of stuff. So I'm on Grindr at uni and I get an invitation from someone who is probably about 100 metres away from me saying, if you come to this location, you can get HIV testing for free. You can just come along. And I was like, this sounds like a really weird way to get someone to their house. Actually, it turns out it was an organisation that would go on Grindr and meet people where they're actually going to be meeting people and talk about that. And that genuinely was the first time in my life I had input about safer sex and it was through Grindr of all the places. So that happened. And I just realised how different the world, even five years ago, where I was kind of shuddering at the thought of, oh, oh, I need to get HIV test. That was five years ago. Nowadays, here I am openly putting on Twitter a picture of me with my little uh, ring finger out, blood still dripping from the prick that you do yourself here being like, oh, I just got myself tested and there is no shame about it. I love that. That's called growth, Alex. (laughs) And I am here for it. I am. Can we put in some some applause sounds because <laughs> full round of applause. That's honestly so good to also just be op- able to openly talk about it here on this podcast. That simple thing that you've just said, if that changes one person's attitude towards whether or not they feel confident about getting tested themselves, that is going to mean so much, you know, to that individual. Um, in a minute, we're going to be chatting to Mark Thompson, and he is one of the original founders of Prepster, which educates and, I love this, educates and agitates yes. for prep use across England and beyond, as well as being one of the directors of The Love Tank. And that's an organisation which campaigns for health and well-being of underserved communities like the one which Alex described above. We will speak to Mark right after we hear from Daryl with your Virgin Radio Pride weekly update. Thank you. First this week, Rihanna says there's no greater feeling than being honoured by her home country of Barbados. The singer's been declared a national hero as the island celebrates becoming a republic for the first time in its history. She says she's incredibly grateful. I'm so proud to be a Beijing. I'm going to be a Bajan until the day I die. This is still the only place I've ever called home. I love Barbados. I love you guys. Chile has elected its first transgender official to its National Congress. Amelia Schneider is the first out transgender person to be elected there. The 25-year-old activist previously gained prominence when she was elected to represent over 42,000 students as the president of the University of Chile Student Federation. 
Now, a bisexual teacher has resigned in the US after being told to remove his pride flag from a school board in Michigan. Orders to remove any pride flags from classrooms were sent to multiple staff across the school district in Three Rivers. Teacher Russell Ball took to Twitter to tell his followers he quit after 12 years in education after he was told to remove a flag from his classroom. I was not going to be an active participant in the suppression and oppression of an already marginalized group that I'm a part of. The pride flag stands for love, inclusion and equality, something that should be present in every single classroom across the country. By removing it, I feel like I'm being told I am invalidated. Strictly Come Dancing star John Waite has taken to Instagram to shut down trolls attacking his castmates, telling them to pipe down. The former Great British Bake Off winner wrote on the social media platform, If you're trolling any of my Strictly pals, or anyone on the planet for that matter, let me ask you, what have you done today to be vulnerable? That's the latest for this week. I'll be back next week. Thanks, Daryl. Now, we've heard from various Virgin Radio Pride guests today about the advances in medicines which are helping to treat cases of HIV. But, as you may know, there's also a medicine which helps prevent HIV transmission. It's called PrEP, which stands for Pre-Exposure Prophylaxis, and it was made available for free on the NHS in England last year. The fact that we can now get such a vital medicine on the NHS owes a lot to an organisation called Prepster. And we're delighted to be speaking to one of the original founders, Mark Thompson, right now. So, Mark, it was such an incredible milestone that was reached last year. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how Prepster's role in the fight to secure free prep for everyone on the NHS was? Well, we got involved in the fight to get PrEP available on the NHS in around 2015, 2016. We were established in 2015 because we were getting a lot of questions asked from friends on social media about what this new drug was. And we were getting clinicians ask us as well um, about providing information. And Will Nutland and I both have a health promotion background. We're both queer activists. And we thought, okay, this is a great opportunity to start putting the word out. And PrEP wasn't available in the NHS. And then a group of activists and organisations got together and decided to challenge this. So there was a long, drawn-out fight because the NHS didn't think that they needed to pay for it. They should sit with local authorities. Um, The National AIDS Trust ended up going to court with um, the NHS to get PrEP made available. That case was successful. And then the impact trial was started. And that wasn't a trial to see whether or not PrEP worked because they knew that it did, but it was to see what it would be like to prescribe it in the real world. So PrEP still along with the Terence Higgins Trust and the National AIDS Trust, and I Want PrEP Now did a lot of work to challenge that. We didn't actually go to court, but what we did as grassroots activists was to give the community the tools and the information to lobby and to advocate for PrEP access. So writing to their MPs, using their social media platforms to not only raise awareness, but to call for this to be made available. And ultimately we were successful. And for you, Mark, you know, personally speaking, how did you feel when that milestone was reached? Well, you know, it was bittersweet because on one hand, we were absolutely delighted that the court case was was in our favour and in the community's favour. But the bitterness of it was there wasn't an immediate rollout of PrEP. That still took a couple of years. So we had to have the impact trial, which 
was okay because it meant that more people got prep and then during the prep trial the numbers were increased they're actually doubled so more people can get it but i just feel that it delayed getting prep into the hands of those that needed it um a little bit longer right so that meant that we couldn't do a lot of activism and health promotion to get it to the communities that most needed it but we got there in the end so that is great news let's go back to basics briefly because we're talking about prep can you tell us a little bit more about what it is and how it works? Of course, yes. Yeah. So PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, which means the pre is it's something you do beforehand, right? So it's HIV medication. So I'm a positive man and I take drugs which keep the virus and therefore my viral load at an undetectable level, which means I can't pass HIV on. PrEP uses pretty much the same drugs that I use as HIV medication, but you take it beforehand. And what PrEP does is when it's in the body, it stops uh, HIV from taking hold and from replicating inside of the body, which leads to an infection. So the way that somebody takes PrEP is you take it before sex and you take it after sex. And you can take it two ways. Obviously, you can only take it one way, which is orally. But in terms of how frequently you take it depends on the sex that you're having. So for cisgendered men um, who are having sex, you can take the pill every single day or you can take something called event date, event based dosing, which means you can take it just before and just after. But for women um, and other um, genders, sorry, for, for women, then you need to take it consistently. So if you're a trans man or you're a woman, then you need to take the pill every single day. So you mentioned something there, um, which is like a phrase that I see a lot online. Undetectable is untransmittable. And that's often shortened into U equals U. Could you just talk us through that a little bit more as well? Yeah, sure. So U equals U, as you said, Shiv, is undetectable equals untransmittable. And basically what that means is a person who is taking antiretroviral medication, so HIV medication, which we take every single day to keep us alive and keep the virus at bay in 2008. And then again in 2016 and 2018, it was discovered that people who are HIV positive can take the medication and it gets the virus to such low levels in the body that a blood test can't find it. It's undetectable. And therefore, that means that they physically cannot pass the virus on. And those studies have been done across the world with thousands and thousands of people and no transmissions have taken place. So that means that we're no longer infectious, which is great news for people who are living with HIV. And it helps reduce HIV stigma. It improves our mental health. These are all things which are really important. But what I will add to that really quickly is that globally, not everybody has access to HIV treatment. So this is our next battle in the fight to end HIV transmissions. Yeah, for sure. It's such an important area to to try and, and eradicate some of that stigma. Well, I mean, what are those kind of misconceptions about PrEP users that we're still seeing today? And those misconceptions still kind of contribute to the stigma that we what we spoke about earlier in the episode well i think with prep users there's you know a, a particular type of stigma which is associated with them and very often this particularly happened in the early days of prep and there was a narrative around well why would you take this drug and have condomless sex when you have condoms or why can't you control yourself so all of these narratives that we've heard for years we heard it around the contraceptive pill in the 60s we heard it around condom use around in the early days of the HIV epidemic. Why don't you just abstain? Why don't you just do this? 
And in the early part of the PrEP movement, there was a real pushback from PrEP activists who defined themselves as what were called Travada whores. So Travada was the drug that people were taking for PrEP. And they were pushing back and they were going, actually, what PrEP does is it liberates me. It takes away the, takes away the fear of HIV. And as LGBTQ plus communities and many other communities who are affected by HIV, this has been the biggest fear of our lives. We have had this hanging around our heads. And so PrEP users have sometimes be stigma have been stigmatized for not taking responsibility, where in fact, I believe that PrEP users are taking the ultimate responsibility. And then what they're also doing is that they're sharing that responsibility with people like myself who are already diagnosed and live with HIV. So there's a shared responsibility. And I think that moves us to a space where we become not HIV negative or HIV positive, but HIV equal. Of course. Um you also mentioned before about the different terminology that we you know, we see. You mentioned PrEP. There's another term, PEP. What's the difference between the two? Okay, that's a really good pe question. And lots of people get confused. So PEP is post-exposure prophylaxis, and it's the same medication. might be slightly different to, to the drugs that you get for PrEP, but it's still HIV medication that one takes if they think that they've been exposed to HIV. So you take it afterwards, you take it up to 28 days and one has to take it within 72 hours of the incident happening. And you can get PEP from sexual health clinics, from A&E, so accident emergency spaces. But the great news is that with PrEP being available and with U equals U, that there are less and less people being prescribed PEP. But again, if somebody thinks that they've been exposed, get themselves to the A&E or to your sexual health clinic and you will be prescribed PEP. So, yeah, so the difference is PrEP is pre, PEP is post, so before and after. Amazing, thank you. Yeah, that's really useful information to know. Um, you're working on a campaign at the moment. Ask me about PrEP. Could you tell us a little bit? Well, look, I'm actually, I'm asking you about PrEP. What's it all about? <laughs> so Ask Me About PrEP is a brand new project that the Love Tank and PrEP Star have just launched last week. It's a really exciting project funded by Public Health England. And what we're trying to do, Shiv, is to recruit 150 people across the country to become PrEP mobilizers. And what that means is basically training them up on a quick 90 minute course, it's really easy training and giving them the skills and the knowledge and some basic prep info for them to go out and talk to their friends and their partners and their social media followers about prep. We give them some lovely preps to merch. So you get a tote bag, a t-shirt and lots of tea and lots of stickers, all the good stuff that we produce. And then we're just asking you to go and tell five or six of your friends and if you've got a huge following to tell as many people as you can and then what we're asking those people to do is then tell their friends so what we're hoping is that there's this real cascade of people talking about prep because what we have learned throughout doing all of this work about prep is that the best people to tell you about prep are people who are actually using it or engaged in it or feel that it could be for somebody that they know. So you can find more about it at our website, prepster.info forward slash AMAP, or just go to prepster.info and sign up. We really, really want more people to get involved. That sounds great. And also, I'm I'm not about to flash you, but I, I did wear this. I actually didn't wear this specially, but I did remember I was wearing my little... Yay! 
Prepped with T-shirt. Yeah. That's one of the classic ones. So, you know, you got old school there. So keep hold of that. Vintage merch. Vintage merch. <laughs> so you mentioned you're one of the directors of The Love Tank, which promotes health and well-being for underserved communities. And we've heard earlier how there's still a disproportionate stigma around HIV and, and HIV treatment, even in testing, in certain communities. How do we tackle this? I think one of the, I mean, Ask Me About Prep is a great example because we're taking it straight into the community and we're getting the community to take charge of it. I think what we need to do is to continue to invest in those communities that are at risk or who are marginalised or experience health inequities. I think what I would like to see is more younger people getting involved in the work. So either as volunteers or getting employed or just using their platforms. But ultimately, it really goes down to fixing the systems that reinforce those inequalities. And I think that we saw that through COVID and the impact of health inequalities there and how that disproportionately affected poorer communities, black and brown communities. And so I strongly believe until we address those societal systemic issues which impact on us, we're really not going to get any further. So I think it's a combination of the community stepping up, but also challenging the status quo and the systems that continue to keep those inequalities in place. Final question for you, Mark. So aside from Ask Me About Prep, what are the next steps for Prepster and for the Love Tank and for you? <laughs> well, I'm probably going to take a break after this week because it has been <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Uh, well, you know, the Love Tank, we've got, you know, some great projects which are um, working at the moment. So we have a project which works with queer migrant men who have really high needs and we want to try to ensure that they've got good access to sexual health and health services. We've got a fabulous project called QueerHealth.info, which is taking a look at the health needs of queer communities and trying to address those through the community doing it themselves. And Prepster continues to educate and agitate for PrEP. We have PrEP available, but it's not accessible by everybody. So our work in 2020 will continue to focus on trying to get PrEP available in pharmacies, GP practices, so women can access it and they can understand. And as for me, you know, my podcast, We Were Always Here, keeps going. I've got some exciting projects in the pipeline for next year, which I can't talk about just yet, Ooh. but they're going to be just as fabulous as this year. But in the next few weeks, I'm going to call up in a ball and just watch television. <laughs> it sounds like you deserve to watch some really terrible Christmas movies and eat lots of ice cream. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Mark, for chatting to us and to everyone at Prepster for all of the fantastic work that they're doing. If you haven't already, I'd strongly recommend checking out Prepster's website. There is so much information on there. They're at prepster.info, as Mark said. We'll also put some information about some other really helpful charities in the show description, so be sure to check those out too. That is about all we've got time for today, but thank you so much for marking World AIDS Day with us over the last couple of weeks. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so on Twitter. We're at Virgin Radio UK using the hashtag Virgin Radio Pridecast. Or you can email us on pridecast at virginradio.co.uk. We wanted to leave you with a clip which I think sums up what we've been talking about today. Although there's a huge amount of stigma surrounding HIV, we are gradually making progress against it. Have a listen to It's a Sin star and HIV activist Nathaniel Hall, who chatted to Emma Goswell about his own journey towards acceptance. 
We'll see you next week. Well, that's it. I mean, you were happy, or, well, your mum helped you, really, come out as gay, but, you know, still then and still now, there is this massive stigma about HIV. It was just difficult for you to say those words, I guess, wasn't it, and tell your family for so long? Yeah, absolutely. It's the hardest thing to say, and and it's the only, um, I think it's one of the only diseases, illnesses out there that has so much stigma and shame attached to it, you know, hmm. because of the way it's transmitted, because of the way that you catch it and, and people's attitudes around that. So really, really hard. And, and I don't think my story in terms of taking a long time to tell people is unique. Lots no. of other people I know living with HIV do take quite a long time. And I know lots of people, I still get messages, even after the vigil, I was getting message after message after message after message of people saying, I'm still really struggling to tell people about this. I still yeah. feel really ashamed about this thing. Yeah, because I mean, if you'd had cancer, you'd have told your family and they'd have gone on the treatment journey with you, wouldn't they, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's one of the reasons why I'm so vocal now and I, I've worked through that shame and I've had lots of counselling and lots of support and I've now got my family behind me and it's one of the reasons why I'm so visible and so vocal about it because I don't want other people to go through the torture that I put myself through because there is no there's no reason to be doing that. And actually when you do come out, overwhelmingly people are very supportive. So often the fear of coming out about it is, is greater than the, mm. the reality. But I guess you're so well known, aren't you now? And you're so out there as an HIV campaigner. Everybody knows you are HIV positive. Has that had any negative repercussions for you? Because you are so out there on social media and, you know, on national television. Uh, no, I remember when I had my first trial, well, the first, I think it was an article for BuzzFeed News um, in about 2018, which was kind of one of the, the first main articles about my story, and someone trolled me on it, and I remember all the team, my team around me, like my producer and everyone going, like being really sensitive and sending messages, going, are you okay? And I was like, I'm like, I'm going to wear that as a badge of honour. I'm like, if you're not, if you're not ruffling feathers, you're not doing it right, in my, in my mind. But overwhelmingly, no, I think I... Um, surround myself with positivity and good people and you're not going to change everyone's you know uh, minds and if they've got a small-minded outlook on life it's easier to just move on and, and move to the next person rather than dwell on it.